I'm Danielle Wozniak, and I'm Dean at Wurzweiler School of Social Work. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Susan Mason. Different countries have national treasures, and if Wurzweiler had a treasure, it would be Dr. Susan Mason, who is a clinical social worker whose area of expertise is clinical research and clinical trials. Not only does she bring a wealth of historical knowledge about Wurzweiler, but she brings enormous knowledge about the field of social work. So Dr. Mason, tell us about yourself. Well, I graduated from college with a degree in history, and I went right into uh, becoming a, a high school teacher. I got a master's degree in teaching. Uh, I graduated with a PhD in sociology and taught for a while in an undergraduate uh, college in New Jersey. And then at that same time, I was studying psychoanalysis and decided that I needed to get a license in order to work with clients in psychoanalysis. Wait a minute. You were you had a doctorate in sociology? That is correct. And then I went to social work school. Well, I graduated from Columbia, and they offered me a job at Columbia immediately. And I turned it down, and everybody was shocked, and they couldn't imagine why I turned it down. So I told them the reason was that I had just completed a degree in social work, and I wanted to learn to be a social worker. And huh. therefore, I got a job at a city hospital, uh, Jacoby in the Bronx. Well, the smartest thing I ever did was go to Jacoby. Why? Because there I learned how to be a true clinical social worker. I was in working in the inpatient department with the people who were seriously ill. And I met uh, a number of very talented people, um, psychiatrists, nurses, social workers, who were dedicated to working with people with schizophrenia, bipolar uh, uh, disorders, and other serious uh, mental illness disorders. What did you do on a daily basis? I was a social worker. I worked in the uh, unit. And a lot of what I did was I ran groups, but I also did a lot of discharge planning and intake planning. And um, I learned a whole lot of things that I didn't learn in social work school about the realities of the services that are offered and what we can do and what we cannot do for people. Like what? Well, I would always wanted to send people to the best uh, agencies or the best placements that they could after they were in a psych emergency room. Mm -hmm. But there weren't too many openings in these places. Mm -hmm. So I had to um, do what I, ha what I could. And sometimes it wasn't what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. such as discharge people uh, to um, places or agencies or homes that I knew were not the best for them. Um, Friday afternoons, we would uh, be told, the doctors and the social workers and the nurses, clear out the unit. We have three people or four people down in the ER, and we need the beds. Oh, no. And this is how it worked. But in the long run, I learned a lot, and uh, many of the patients did get better and uh, really uh, benefited from our work. I left Jacoby mm -hmm. and went to Mount Sinai and worked for a, psychi a psychiatrist, uh, Sam Cyrus, who was a genius. And um, he trained me in doing clinical trials. 
and schizophrenia. And he taught me an amazing amount of information and, and skills working with the most difficult inpatient and outpatient uh, patients. And he uh, included me in many of his publications, major, major publications in very prestigious psychiatry journals. So you left Jacoby um, where you had been doing direct practice work. You were doing groups. You were doing individual treatment. You were doing discharge planning. What made you decide to leave? The reason I went to Jacoby and didn't take the job at Columbia was I wanted very much to learn about mental illness, especially severe and persistent mental illness. And when Dr. Cyrus offered to train me the way he trained the psychiatry uh, uh, interns, I just grabbed it. I was uh, working on clinical trials with people with schizophrenia primarily. Well, tell our our listeners, what is a clinical trial? In this case, they were medication clinical trials. They can be other types of clinical trials, but basically you want to test an intervention. You want to see if an intervention actually works. Mm -hmm. And it's very tricky because many times people, whether they're patients Uh, or not, we'll get better uh, from what we call the placebo effect. Mm -hmm. And that is just when people are paying attention to you, you start to feel better, Mm -hmm. whether you're taking a real medication or or a sugar pill. If you come in once a week or twice a week and people talk to you, you do start to feel better, which indicates that talk therapy actually does make people feel better. And I tell my students all the time here at uh, Wurzweiler that talk therapy actually can change the chemical composition of the brain. And we uh, we have... evidence that that is correct. Hmm. At any rate, I had to, uh, these trials that we're working on were double-blind trials. What does that mean? Double-blind means that neither the uh, practitioner, the clinician, or the client knows whether they are on a placebo or on the real medication. Uh And the only person who does know, aside from the drug company people, are the people uh, in in the pharmacy. Why would you do a double blind? You want to do a double blind to truly see if uh, if the medication is effective. They've already pretty much determined by the time they work with live people that it's that it's safe, but the real issue is whether it's effective. Mm-hmm. In other words. Because there's this theory of opportunity that I teach my students all the time. If you take one medication, it means you're not taking the other. Mm-hmm. So you want to make sure that the person is on the medication that works and not another medication. So we did this double blind. And at the same time, I was teaching part-time at various schools of social work, including Wurzweiler. There was an opening at Wurzweiler for a full-time position. I met with, at that time, Dean Sheldon Gelman, and he said, you're hired. So, Dr. Mason, did you want to make a career change when they offered you the job at Wurzweiler? 
Americans. I very much wanted to. I had actually been offered some employment positions at Merck and, and Pfizer to leave uh, the hospital work and work for the drug companies. But I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to travel too much. Just couldn't bear leaving my little puppy uh, for too long. I started to realize how important social work was in terms of helping people who might not want to go into a clinical trial or who were afraid uh, and who really needed to be in them. And um, I actually wrote several articles on this, one of which was about helping African-Americans uh, join clinical trials. And of course, they uh, often had a large distrust of it because of the history. They had uh, some reason uh, to be afraid and yes, mistrustful. Absolutely. The reason I think that it's social workers should have a role in clinical trials is that they are so proficient in working with families. Mm. And the truth is that it's very difficult to keep people in clinical trials doing exactly as they're supposed to be doing if there is not uh, sufficient support at home. Mm. And it's the social workers who can talk to family members and help them uh, guide the client through the sometimes difficult obstacles of being in a clinical trial. Mm. One of the obstacles, for example, is sometimes certainly in psych, in psych trials, in psychology trials, is that clients start to feel better halfway through the trial. Mm. And once they start feeling better, they say, I don't need this. I don't want to be on this anymore. Um, and sometimes when they feel better, they um, begin to exhibit uh, personality changes. Let me give you a yeah. terrific example of this. I was working with a client, came in, and she was doing very well. She came in and says, I have to quit. I have to stop being in this clinical trial. I say, why? Because my boyfriend says, <clears throat> if I keep taking this medication, he's going to leave me. I pursued this and asked her why he would say that. And, and this is what she told me. <clears throat> it used to be that any movie he wanted to go to, I would say yes. Any restaurant he wanted to go to, I would say yes. Any day he wanted to spend time together, I would say yes. Now hmm. I'm starting to say, no, I would rather do something else. Hmm. Well, as ridiculous as this may sound, this was, for this reason, this woman was ready to quit the trial. Uh. And this was uh, the wrong thing for her to do. So I called the young man in, and we had a family meeting. Oh, thank goodness. And I explained to him that she was actually getting better. He was, think he was thinking she was getting worse. He was thinking uh. the medication is making her irritable and making her not want to go along with all this, the plans that they had been uh, pursuing for years. And this was a long-term relationship. So finally... He understood, or at least he said he understood when he left the meeting. Well, he must have understood because she stayed in the trial Excellent. and she stayed on the medication and she became ornery and decided that she wanted to go to a movie 
that she decided to, to choose and not always the ones that he wanted to go to. This is just an example. That's a wonderful example. So she became her own person. She became her own person. And doctors often don't have time or the inclination. Or the, or the training. Or the training to work with people in this uh, milieu. Because really, Susan, you combined your skill and knowledge of family therapy and family systems <clears throat> with your knowledge of the clinical trials um, and your knowledge of um, of human behavior. So you brought it all together um, and were able to keep that person in the, in the clinical trial. Um, that's excellent. And then also, I'm thinking you bring that knowledge with you into the classroom. I try to. Uh, it, it's interesting because many of our students come into the course that we teach psychosocial pathology thinking, oh, no, this is going to be too hard, or I'm not really interested in this, or I want to be uh, working in uh, another field, so why do I have to learn about psychosocial pathology? What I do show them and indicate to them is that everybody needs emotional support mm -hmm. in whichever field you're working in, whether it's adoption, whether it's child welfare, which wherever you are, you're going to have to provide emotional support to people. Mm -hmm. And you're also going to have to assess uh, where they are and, and, their, and their ability to take in the emotional support and how to use it. Mm -hmm. And often this means understanding concepts such as depression, anxiety, uh, even uh, temporary hallucinations, mm -hmm. uh, even delusions uh, that may not be permanent. They just be of a temporary nature based on extreme anxiety or extreme depression. I'd like to put a little pitch in for social work and working in clinical trials. I think if we, if we, uh, can train more social workers to do this type of work, it's going to be extremely helpful for clients and, and for the medical and, and the psychiatric profession. Well, it certainly integrates social work with medicine, with psychiatry, um, and it really is, um, it really applies all of those fields uh, and integrates them together in a way that supports people with some pretty su significant illnesses in a way that um, is very, very, very important. One more point, and then I, uh, I want to make, is that teamwork is extremely important, mm -hmm. that we need to uh, educate our social workers to work with other professions, to work as, as team members, and to speak up and, and say what they have to say in team meetings. Hmm. Um, and this is something that I also uh, try to uh, impart in my classes. That's really good. Interprofessional practice is really a critical concept uh, in 21st century uh, care, isn't it? That your social workers will be on teams with psychiatrists, psychologists, um, occupational therapists, Therapists, physical therapists, all of whom will be providing a piece of that care and who must really speak with each other and speak with the patient and the patient's family. That's correct. This is what's happening currently, but it's also the future of social work practice. Susan Mason, treasurer of Wurzweiler, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us and your, your wonderful, wonderful uh, knowledge of the profession. I am really glad that you're a social worker and that you have given your talents so generously to Wurzweiler and that you've shared your knowledge today. You're very welcome, Dean Rusnak.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Scholars in Residence, a Yeshiva University podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Anchor, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. This episode is produced by Stu Halpern and David Chabinski, and edited by David Chabinski. Until next time.